Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. Good evening, listeners. Luke. Howdy. And Crystal. Well, good morning. Depends when you're listening, really. That's true, but it does make, make sense for him to say good evening, because we're actually recording Saturday night for a change. Ooh, I know, that's different. Different. I thought it felt strange and unusual and somewhat creepy and in a dark place that I want to go to, and he's like, let's just move on now. <laughs> it's freaking me out, man! <laughs> I know this is not very nerdy, but I'm Australian, so I have to do it. Saturday night. Saturday night. Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast that you are in fact now listening to, we also have our glorious website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com which features additional content not found on the podcast itself, including... Richo's Who Reviews, Woo-hoo. and our new series, Behind the Counter, which focuses on uh, retail shops around Australia and possibly even New Zealand. Stay tuned for that. That's uh, us that, branching out internationally. That's right, across the pond, that basically shines a spotlight on the people, the good people who supply us our hobbies. Feed our addictions. Feed our addictions. That was probably a smarter thing to say. Our, that's our why you're on the show. Our pusher men. Our pushers. And, and women. So uh, so check those out. But for now on the podcast, we have a popcorn junkie on Looper, Dust Jacket, where we'll be discussing the novel The Paradox Men by Charles L. Harness, and Channel Zero on The Big Bang Theory. First up, Popcorn Junkie. Okay, Looper is a sci-fi action thriller that stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis and Emily Blunt and is directed by Ryan Johnson who has previously brought us Brick and The Brothers Born. Correct. It is a story about uh, time travel essentially. Uh, In 2072 uh, the mob uh, are using time travel to send back people that they want killed to the past because it's too hard to dispose of bodies in the future. And so they get sent back 30 years, and then uh, people called loopers, uh, which are so they're basically just mob assassins, essentially, uh, kill these people and then dispose of the bodies where it's easy to do so. And then they live, you know, highfalutin. <laughs> you don't get to say highfalutin very often, <laughs> but they live highfalutin lives uh, uh, in the period that they've caught until they themselves are sent back and killed themselves in a process called closing the loop. So they know that they have a limited time span. They have, you know, 30-odd years to live it up until they eventually do get silenced by the mob themselves. The story focuses on young Joe, who is a looper, um, and what happens when he meets his future self, who has come back in time. Uh, The reason that uh, his future self has come back is because uh, he wants to change the past in order to stop what happens in his future from occurring. That's pretty much it for the plot. Uh, So as I mentioned, uh, the the cast, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays young Joe, and Bruce Willis plays old Joe. Uh, Emily Blunt, who is Sarah, uh, who Joe runs into while he's on the on the lamb. Highfalutin and on the lamb. I'm on fire. <laughs> um, and there's a whole bunch of other people, like, you know, loopers and prostitutes and stuff. I don't really care about those. 
Uh, the only other person worth mentioning is uh, Pierce Gagnon, who plays Sid. I think young Pierce there was the most outstanding actor in the whole film. Uh, for mine, I, I would give him alone five out of five Lukes. I was just I was just blown away by his. He does do a good job. His his performance. I mean, little little kids can be good actors, but I just it just he just looked so natural. He didn't look like he was acting at all. Mm. Plus, he was also required to actually. There are some shots, um, in particular, where he's actually required to show some very strong facial yeah expressions, which can be quite hard to get out yeah. of a out of a child actor and have them yeah. get the meaning across he delivered. and he does a pretty good job he looks very scary yeah. I was convinced to the yeah. bit in the cornfield I was mm. like wow yeah. this he, dude looks pissed he delivers quite a lot of uh, grown up dialogue yeah and often when kids do that they look like they're saying it by roach they've been taught what to say but yeah, he, he you know it looked like he really had thought about what he's saying and, and understands exactly what he's saying and means what he's saying I actually thought this film had a great many, like, really top-notch performances. I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis were both excellent. Um, I thought Emily Blunt was very good. Uh, there's a sort of minor character played by Jeff Daniels um, who really makes the most out of the few scenes that he's got. Mm. Um, so the fact that Pierce actually stands out is even more impressive. I don't expect that sort of depth of talent from a child. I mean, obviously, it's possible, but... It's also because they haven't had the years of experience either, exactly, so that's yeah. why it surprises me. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like people say that acting is all about drawing in, drawing from your own experiences and your own you know, emotional state and stuff like that. But you've only been alive for 10 no, years. No, it's just about being good at pretending. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and about, about taking advantage of the moment as well. Yeah. All you actors well, out there, Crystal's hit the nail on the head. It's just about oh, best, being the best, best at able to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got to be convincing. You have to make it kids natural then. That's yeah. I mean, that's why kids do so well. If you need to draw any experiences for that to work, we'll do so. But you know, <laughs> well, now that we've just alienated pretty much every actor that might be listening, the, the NCP school of acting. Let the, let the letters flood in. <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned Jeff Daniels before, actually. I, I, every time I saw him, I was pitching Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's like, this would have been so much cooler if the dude was playing this part. I thought Bruce Willis, at the start, did really well in terms of like a 12-monkey sort of style. Mm. I, thought I, saw, I saw a lot of 12-monkey sort of angst sort of happening yeah. in there. I thought, this is, this is amazing. This is going to really kick some butt. And, uh, but then towards the end of it, he just it was kind of... Not quite as as powerful. Then around sort of the middle sort of part, it wasn't as powerful. Mm. Really interesting. At one point, you didn't know which character to actually barrack for. Do mm. I want this this person to to win out? Do I want that person to win out? I'm not mm. sure where to go here. They're all mm. excellent point. Absolutely. Like, yeah. This is. I thought. Like, wow. This is awesome. There's actually no hero here. Mm. Well, that leads into what is actually the chief weakness. That there's a which is there's a middle of the film where it doesn't quite stop dead but the energy of the opening which is fabulous you know it it sets up uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, Joe his world the sort of the hedonistic yet very unfulfilling lifestyle that he finds himself into you learn why he wants to you know what he's going to do once he gets out yeah. and that's what he's sort of looking forward to in that, in that cool montage in that, in that really nice little montage you set him up as you know not a, probably not the greatest person in the world um, with a betrayal of his friend mm-hmm. Which, and that was one of the moments where I was thinking, please, please, please don't give him the money and save your friend. That would just kill the film right here for me. Yeah. 
going into the moment where he meets Bruce Willis for the first time, learning Bruce Willis's um, the actual story from Bruce Willis's perspective, and then that nice montage of um, Bruce's old Joe's lifestyle mm. and what you know what happens to him and the woman that he meets um, up until him making the decision to go back and change the past. All beautifully done, you know, quick, but it tells me the story. The end, which is sort of the capping point, you know, again, high energy, pays off a lot of some of the plot elements it sets up, i.e. Um, the deal with the um, telekinetic powers that are going around, the deal with the Rainmaker, which is a huge part of the part of the plot and what old Joe is trying to stop. But there's a point in the middle, and it's after, it's after young Joe meets Emily Blunt, where the plot almost almost stops, and all the energy goes out. Yeah, there's some um, two actual stories taking place at that point. There's the story of young Joe, and the story of old Joe. And the story of old Joe, it doesn't get forgotten, but it's you only catch very small glimpses of it. Um, whereas a lot of the focus in that second act is on young Joe and what's happening with him and Emily Blunt and um, and um, Sid, the child that uh, Emily Blunt is raising. But for me, I was actually more interested in the Bruce Willis story. And it, it, part of that is because they've done such a great job of constructing this world and constructing this story in that first act that you just talked about that I wanted to be more immersed in that world. And, and that's what Bruce Willis was doing, whereas, um, whereas Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a little bit removed from that all of a sudden. And so I think that's a big part of where the lag is, is there's two stories and they're focusing on the one that is actually, uh, generally speaking, I don't think quite as interesting and that, I think, is because Bruce Willis is actually doing stuff. Yeah. Um, he's going around. He's also got a stronger emotional connection. Whereas young Joe is actually just sitting there waiting. And so because of that, he's not actually actively engaged in driving the story forward. Totally right. There's at this point, too, when um, Sarah's character is introduced, and there's some unfinished questions there uh, mm. with her character. Like Later, there's... Um, she's speaking to Joe she she works out that he's a liver but we never find out how she knows that how she knows what they are good yeah. point yeah it's never explained yeah I, I actually agree quite a lot with Crystal said that I actually mm. thought there was going to be more to her um, story and mm. when it was revealed it was sort of a bit um, a bit anticlimactic yeah I guess in a novel there might but might mm. have been it certainly brings it home in the end let's yeah. put it that way yeah yeah it's home yeah. It, it might lull a bit but it doesn't end anticlimactically it's actually interesting because um, this is done by Ryan Johnson, who's um, an independent filmmaker up until this point with Brick and the Brothers Bloom, in that he brings a lot of that independent filmmaking sensibility to the the film itself. You yeah. know, it's not a lot of highly stylized shots. It's a lot of very slow pauses, very slow camera angles. He, he speeds up when he needs to to make sure that the action. It's um, old school filmmaking, though, which I really appreciate. Um, but it's also from someone who's trying desperately to make sure the story is told, and make sure it looks good, but not at the expense of the story, yeah. and not not um, throw a whole bunch of visual stimuli in the hope that something will stick in the audience's mind and they'll make a memorable memorable film. He's you know tried to hang back a little bit. No fake lens flare. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's a kind of, I did read a couple of things online um, in the last couple of days because uh, only just came out in Australia uh, a couple of days ago. Um, that sort of mentioned that it sort of breaks its own internal logic, and I can sort of I can see where they where, where what scene they were thinking about there. Um, I don't want to mention it because it's it's a pretty important scene, 
Um, but I don't really think that's that big of a deal. I don't think it's, I mean, it doesn't really break its internal logic. It's more of a sort of a paradox, which, you know, according to Doc Brown, is going to unravel the universe, which is, you know, not a good, not a good, not a good thing at all. Which um, might explain the very last shot. Yeah, very. you, you said you mentioned that before, the, the, where it goes to white. Very impressive. Um, uh, there's a, a couple of things I just want to point out. Is I just, I just, I really, really love the concept. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's been a long time since where I've seen a film where I've actually been just intrigued to what is happening with the idea of it all. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I can sit back and, and watch the, the great performances. And there, there were great performances, and you know, and the action and all that sort of stuff. But just the idea behind. I haven't been this impressed since Moon, which was also an excellent concept. So I can sort of see the parallels there. And it was great to see Bruce Willis get back into a bit of you know, 12 monkey sort of level of acting. Um, and that was really, really, really cool. Um, the only, th- the, only well, the, well, the only main thing that I didn't like, actually, um, and it's, a, it's nitpicking 101, is that those hover bikes, god damn, they looked horrible. <laughs> Speed racing. <They're laughs> awful, awful. I've, been, I've seen better CGI on children's TV programs. It was just terrible stuff. And there was, I think, a completely pointless and unnecessary scene towards the end of the film involving one of those. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that made god. me just think... No, that's just just not necessary it, it was, in any way. It was a stupid scene, and that it just, God, seemed, it just seemed tacked on. That bike was just awful. Anyway, <laughs> um, but other than that, great stuff. Uh, so let's hit it with ratings. Um, okay, I give this three looks, um, chock full of ideas, um, good start, good ending, good performances. Just really need to clean itself up in the middle. Yeah, I'd give it three and a half. S- similar sort of thing. I absolutely love time travel and time paradox stories it's it's my absolute favorite thing among science fiction and and this one was you know was a was a good attempt at that not perfect there was that lull um but first and foremost as um as david and luke have said this film has ideas Mm. it has ideas behind it and it's so refreshing to see people actually going you know science fiction films let's actually get creative with the ideas i'm going to give this one four and a half looks i was quite impressed for all the reasons you've already said it was nice to see a film that followed an original idea that wasn't a reboot and you know, some of the scenes, one scene in particular just had me completely mesmerised it was the scene where Sid saves Joe from the from Jesse who'd come to the farmhouse to track him down I, I don't think I'd seen anything like that before, it was completely unlike any other sort of I was going to say action scene, but it wasn't really action, but it was kind of action. Yeah. It was action in the tension. Yeah. Tension the <laughs> action. No, tension the action. action. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, poor Seth's uh, older character. Mm. Oh, yeah. that was that was a gruesomely horrible. That was, that was, yeah. and I, I was really impressed by the way yeah. they did that because it made me feel the horror of what was going on, mm. but at no point was I seeing severed fingers or... Yeah, things like that. They, yeah. It was it was really cleverly done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to give this four looks out of five. Um, I was yeah. It's like Richard said. It's just it's good to see an idea actually, yeah. you know, make it out of Hollywood. And you know, it's no, it's not bloody Total Recall, and it's not a like Guy <laughs> Pierce lockout movie or lockdown or whatever that rubbish was. You know, it was it actually it was just you know, it was an actually it was it was an idea that works. And was entertaining, and yeah, and that that older Seth, Seth scene, uh, like I said, is just is just brilliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, four out of five. So that's it for Looper. Go see it. Let's uh, move on to Dust Jacket. Mm-hmm. 
for this week's dust jacket, uh, we're continuing our uh, recent trend of having people other than myself running the show. And uh, look, uh, <laughs> suck it up, I Captain s- Dust Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I sense bitterness there. Look, uh, there's, there's, there's greatness, and then there's mediocrity, and that's um, all I'm going to say about that. But um, look, I'm just going to kick back, relax, and uh, let Luke do all the work on uh, the Paradox Men. Okay, The Paradox Men by Charles L. Harness. Um, I picked this up about ten years ago in a second-hand bookshop, purely um, based on the title. Just, it, it's an awesome title. It was... Paradox a, a, it saw the, I saw it on the spine, The Paradox Men, sounded brilliant, looked at, the, um, looked at the blurb, and the blurb was really, you know, made it sound like any sort of Star Wars Flash Gordon, um, E. Doc Smith knockoff. But really, the title is what sold me, The Paradox Men. How could you go wrong with that? It's... Not a classic. It's one of those ones that I would actually consider to be, you know, one of those gems that you go into second-hand bookshops for in the first place. The story concerns Alar, um, one of the greatest thieves for the Society of Thieves in the future. And the, Alar's deal is that he has great mental powers, unbeknownst even to himself. But Alar's greatest problem is the dictatorship in charge of the world in which he exists um, wants to kill Alar because... They, through the use of this being called the microfilm mind, know that Allah has great mental powers and will do everything in to kill him before he uses their, his powers to stop their plan to um, conquer the universe. The other thing stopping Allah is that he can't remember who he is. And so his quest is not only to stay alive and survive um, her, uh, Bernhaze Gaunt, the man in charge, and Thurmond, his... Um, uh, nefarious off right hand man um, he's also got to learn who he is what exactly he can do and how he ties into the mysterious ship that is being built um, in this secret in this secret bunker and how it ties into the future but also into his past and that's where the paradox lies and that's where... um, in in the actual ship uh, it's sort of a faster than light to sort of talk a, a little bit more about that, uh, for me, would actually spoil um, yeah. the revelation about the paradox at the end, which I think is quite good. Hmm. Um, so yeah. I'm just going to leave the plot there. This is not a perfect novel. It's not a you know, it, it's not a, a science fiction ma- uh, masterpiece, um, and nor should it be considered such. The, the flaws, as um, I read them, is this: there is a lot of exposition, a lot, mm. um, especially early on. Especially There's a early lot on, of talking about the world rather than showing us the world quite heavily. Um. Yeah, that was one of my biggest bugbears. The conversation between uh, Kiris and and yeah, um, Hayes Gaunt. Hayes Yeah, mm. it's a, clearly a conversation just to inform the audience. It doesn't sound like a natural conversation that yeah. a husband and wife would have, even if the wife is the wife um, against her will. And the thing about that conversation, picking that up, reading it this time, was yeah. that it's a conversation that they would have been having um, many, many, many years ago. The other. There are two other problems that I really have with it is it doesn't quite um, uh, develop the balance between the swashbuckling adventure it really is and mm. with the hard science fiction novel that it also wants to be as well mm. um, there is a bit of an imbalance there you know you get um, some wonderful moments at the start with um, Allah robbing um, robbing the guy at the start yeah. then in the masquerade ball but then there's that bit where he's sitting in the observatory and goes through all that, um, all that hard science and that hard math and to explain the, para- the 
the paradox as it might actually happen. Mm. Well, it seems to be um, very much a transition book between that old pulp style of writing and sort of what would later come in in sort of the new wave of science fiction. This seems, I mean, I think it was written in the written late in 40s, early 50s, yeah. So it, it, it seems to be that it's it's still trying to fulfil that, that pulp sensibility, mm. but also trying to be this new wave. And it just can't, as you say, it can't a, quite balance the two point. out. Like, it I, seems, see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just but you're right, be, it just stops dead at that yeah. point. The bit where he starts yeah. explaining the math, mm. yeah. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. I just, I, this is not school. I don't mm. need to know this. Mm. It's just, I mean, just, yeah, yep, yeah, the, the math backs it up. I'm happy with you. Move on. But yeah. that's more in his Charles Alanis's mind to sort of educate the audience onto the nature of the paradox. I didn't get that at all. I actually got it more as that he did a lot of research mm. to work all this exactly. out and now is very proud of that fact and wants yeah. to show the fact that he, that he did a lot of research. Um, yeah, no, I, I do have to take your point there. <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm really smart. That's, that is exactly. Like, that's, that's one of the, the drawbacks. It's all sort of dumped right there. Um, to get back to what Richard was saying about the pulp um, aspect, this was actually serialised um, originally yeah. back yeah. in the late oh, 40s. There you before go. It was, I didn't know uh, that. Um, which, which might explain a lot of that exposition mm. as well. Mm. Because you know, obviously, on. when you're writing for the pulp, you've only yeah, got a certain yeah. amount of words in which yeah. to get ideas across. So um, back when it was serialised, you could have safely skipped a couple of every week, you know, every second week, and mm. you would have just, <laughs> just kept yeah. the, the good bits. Um, it's also Charles Alhanas's first novel. Um, oh, there you go, you know that. Um, it was, and he sort of wrote it sort of on the fly. He was um, actually needed some cash quite badly. Um, and <laughs> the he, best way to do it. And he actually said he went into it um, not knowing how to, how to, what, not knowing how it was going to end. Like he didn't know what was going to happen in chapter three or chapter four, um, which he says that even by today, that's that's unheard of. You know, you you go into chapter one knowing how the story would end, and he just didn't do that. Probably because he didn't have time. Also, probably because he didn't have the wherewithal to put the to put the story together. You know, back then there wasn't a lot of how do you write novels or how do you deconstruct. Um, particularly science fiction novels. That's very interesting information. I'm glad you just said that because that's now just changed my rating. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing is that there are some structural problems um, with the novel itself. And there's one moment, key moment in particular, that really leapt out at me this time around reading it, um, which is sort of around the, the moment we were just talking about with him giving us that big info dump, yeah. which is that the chapter, the chapter is that contained and it starts off with Kiris being tortured. Yeah. And then suddenly, two or three pages later, there's this big jump to six years to six weeks later and what Allah is doing on the moon with his research and we find out what happened to Kiris in the torture. Yeah. And structurally that just doesn't work. No. Um, you know, you if you're going to do that you keep the audience in suspense by ending that at by ending the torture at the end of the chapter. Yeah. And then opening six weeks later and it, it's not quite so jarring a jump then. But that was that was the thing that really left. structurally that doesn't quite work. You don't. And what happens is brutal. What happens and is brutal. And his reaction's brutal. not that. He's not really all that. He's a, it's it's like he does show a bit of concern, but he's I also mean, been a bit distant from everything. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was a Starship Troopers character. He was like, who cares? But it was really the savage. The jump is uh, is a bit bizarre, given that in the beginning of it, he goes into great detail explaining just how Allah gets away from people to the point where you know every time he trips over a stone and whatnot. Oh yeah, the bit in the alleyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I, good point. I don't need to know that. I just need to know he got away. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should focus on some positives though, because there is actually some I think some really good stuff in this novel, um, despite the problems with the way in which it is written. I actually thought. The world itself was quite interesting. Mm. 
Um, there's a social structure set up. There's, um, you know, uh, there's slavery. And, and you actually get reasons why there is a descent into slavery. And the dueling, how, how dueling has actually come back into, into fashion. Um, so I, I think the actual world building here is quite interesting. Just on the dueling, though, it was um, uh, sort of curious to see that part of the reason why dueling had come back was because the thieves had developed this shield yeah. that yeah. Um, high projectile, high velocity uh, rifles and automatic weapons couldn't penetrate, but slow moving. Um, so when was this written again? Uh, pointy ended objects like swords and daggers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when, could, was, when, when was June? This written? was fifty three, and June is fifty four, fifty five. Yeah, June serialized in the late part of the fifties, and then published in the early sixties. Yeah. Oh. And I just thought that was it. That was an interesting little uh, thing to pick up yeah. on this time. But um, I did like, as far as the dueling goes, I did like the fact that dueling has come in, and it's you know seen as this highly honourable thing to do, mm. but. There's actually no honor in it. Like it's yeah. actually it's actually quite um, hypocritical of the people doing it, um, and I liked that aspect. That cool. I liked the hypocrisy of it, and mm. um, yeah, and I also, I mean, I loved the idea of the microfilm mind. Mm. I mean, it's a little bit dated, you know, because really microfilm. But and also, I I, I found Alar mm. as a character. I found Alar actually quite interesting. Yeah, and that's really why um, the two you two of the things you mentioned there, the microfilm mind and Alar, were really the two things that really struck out at me the original time we read this, and as to why I like it. You know, we get into our last story very quickly, and for the most part, we keep up with him um, throughout the novel. They—it's obvious who he's going to turn out to be. You, Dave's right. You work that out well in advance. To help to harness his credit, he does realise this. There's that moment um, again in the research centre where he actually points out that, you know, what if he is, you know, this other guy, mm. and they try to say no because he looked that other guy looked like this and you know your body shape's different and things like that so but Hannes is actually aware that the audience might pick that up and tries to throw a curveball to um refocus to refocus them a little bit it's a weak curveball um it it is actually it's it's almost a da vinci code level of curveball and the the main bad guy and the the little creature on his shoulder it's like are you serious it's so obvious but I liked, I liked the Painfully bad guy. Painfully obvious. Yeah. Don't I give it away from the audience. Guy. Just, in, let me rephrase that. I didn't like him because he's a despicable person. But I found, I thought he was an interesting yeah. character. He, I mean, he, was, he was an interesting character. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, guess, I guess I'm being a bit too harsh. I mean, it's not really a mystery novel, is it, really? No, it's I mean, not a mystery. No. It's not a mystery novel at all. It's an adventure story. Yeah. Um, and the adventure parts are cool. I mean, the, yeah. the bit at the start with the thief thing. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And him being chased through um, the alleyways away from both, away from the guards and then eventually the society mm-hmm. themselves. Mm. Is quite nice, and I always always loved the sword fight between Thurmond and Alar at the end. Hmm. I've always seen that moment where you know there he walk there, he's walking into the re- into the facility, into the spaceship. Sorry, and you know the the bodies are swinging yeah. in front of him, and he's got the guns on the chairs. I've always seen that moment so clearly in my head. Um, cool scene, and it's it, it's just, the strengths are the for me the character Alar, hmm. good character, and so, and a good some good supporting characters too. Mm. Um, and a really good plot. There are some obvious weaknesses which centre more on the writing side for me than the actual storytelling. I really respect the fact that you started off with the, the things like, I admit that there are problems with mm. this book, and yeah. here they it, are. It's, but here's why I chose it and why it, I like it. it, it's, it's, it's not, really for me, it's not a classic. It's not um, Lord of Lights or, Alf, or The Stars My Destination. Yeah. But it's the reason why I go into 
uh, a second-hand bookshop. You know, I, I, yeah. I can get those books from other bookshop, bookshops and things it. like that. And, you know, it was a, a hidden gem, a diamond in the rough, something that I could, not, not even a guilty pleasure, something that I could take away and go, I really enjoyed reading that. I'm glad, they, I mean, I'm glad I read it, mm. even though I didn't like it, which mm. will come out in another rating later, but I'm glad I read it because mm. it was not something that I would normally, I mean, mm. like I said, you just, you just picked it up. Yeah. It is actually quite an influential book on writers of the 50s and 60s. There so. was some high praise in the, uh, the yeah. forward and afterward. Exactly mm. right. If it had been all as cool as the first chapter, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been a classic. Well, why didn't you like it then? What, oh, for, for the same reasons. That you've, I mean, you pretty much hit it yourself. I mean, for the same reason, I just, I just think that the info dump bits are boring. Mm. Um, I thought the math stuff was pretentious. Uh, I just wasn't interested in the story. As I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, like I said, it's, it's not really a mystery, but I just, I, I like to be surprised. And I mean, I'm no towering detective genius, but if I've figured it out in the first couple of chapters, mm. then the, the, the story doesn't. If I've figured it out, I don't enjoy the journey anymore. Okay. And so if I'm not enjoying the journey, because mm-hmm. I know how it's going to end yep. roughly, I just don't care anymore. That, that's fair enough. And as I say, Hannes obviously realised that, you know, he, that what was going on would be easy to work out because yeah. he tries to write himself well, out of it. So. That's, like I said, I mean, I didn't know it was a serialised story. So now I can understand. Mm. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I, mean, I really like the, the, the Flash gordon type stuff. Mm. I mean, I like the, the, the thievery. I like the, the Masquerade Ball. It was awesome. Yeah. And the final jewel mm. I thought it was awesome yeah. as well. But I just I like that, all that sort of stuff, and I really love the hypocrisy of the mm. of, of the jewel system, mm. as Richard said. All that sort of stuff. If it being all that, if it basically been sort of medieval France in space or something, yep. which is what I sort of thought I thought I thought it was going to be, mm. and then it sort of goes into this sort of high concept, you know, faster than light ship, but that I really didn't care about, and it's sort of, like, sort of, it sort of lost me. Yeah, so, so I actually did like that aspect of it. Um, actually, I really liked the plot overall of this mm. book. Um, I actually thought the plot was excellent. Mm. Yeah, it's just the way in which that plot is written. Yeah. Well, guys, what? Okay, so after all that, what would you actually give Charles L. Hannes's first foray into the literary world? Before I give you my reading, I'll, I'll just say I was disappointed with this book, given Asimov's wrap up of it. He really wrapped it up quite, praised it quite highly. I found this discussion far more interesting than I found the actual book. <laughs> and when, when Luke was given his sum up at the start of what the book was about, I thought this sounds like a really interesting story, but the just re- I found reading it hard work because of the way, it, because of the reasons you discussed it, the way it was written, it was just boring in a large chunks of it. So it was, it was, a, it was tough to get through. Um, so I mean, I'm a big time travel story fan. And I love the idea of the paradox. I just wish that had been explored more. And that the characters are a bit more interesting. Ella was kind of interesting, but the rest of them seem to be kind of 2D and uh, pulpy, villainy kind of characters. And Karis wasn't really fleshed out at all. Although a lot of the male writers at that time, I've noticed had trouble with women characters because mm. maybe they just didn't know a lot of women I, I know that was the case <laughs> well, I know I know I know awesome. I know Asimov has admitted that was a, a, yeah. in in mm. his case that was yeah, that was a thing point. so he just was taking, take, taking a dig at nerds <laughs> well nerds <laughs> from the 1950s but, but <laughs> yeah. to, to, to back Crystal up there you know yeah. that was actually a prevailing thing not just in science fiction but in the world in general yeah, yeah. so I, overall I would give this book a two wasn't really my cup of tea. Fair enough, Richard. Yeah. Um, I, for me, the plot and the characters are excellent. 
like that, that's really the standout. The world building is fantastic. If the book was well written, this could have been one of the absolute like masterpieces of 1950s science fiction. Unfortunately, the book is so badly written that it really does detract from all of those great elements. But because of those great elements, and because I was still, I, I was still hooked into the characters and into the story and into the world, um, because of that, I would give it three. Fair enough. I agree with the fact that it was very badly written, and but I didn't really the plot didn't really do it for me. But I do agree with the world building though. I would have liked to have seen some more of, of the world and the society and you know those sort of characters. That would have been cool, and you know the dueling and all that sort of stuff. So like I said, a bit more Flash Gordony would have been groovy. A little less Donaldson would have been good. So I'm going to go with one and a half. Well, as I say, as I say, you know I don't think this is the greatest science fiction, but it is a for me a, a diamond in the rough. For the most part, yes, it is badly written, but there are moments, you know, certain lines and certain phrases that he uses actually show that there there is some promise there. And if he had time to maybe sit down and do it properly, it could have actually been the novel that we all wanted it to, wanted it to be. Um, having said that, I really enjoyed it the first time. Still enjoyed it the second time. This is three and a half looks for me. Cool. I just want to say, um, the natural inclination in the, in this segment would be, the now that we're doing our, our, like our books and stuff, would be to always just pick our favourite stuff. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, was, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm, mm. but it's like your next, your book's going to be a book you haven't even read yet. Yeah. Which is cool, yeah. and you know, a book that I mean, only three and a half out of five. Well, that's cool. It's, 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 the, it's the great it's, thing. Sorry, the great thing about what what I think we're doing with this segment is that we are trying to, you know, pick books that aren't necessarily the obvious choices. Yeah. You know, and part of getting everybody to choose books was to in, introduce not just the listeners but one another. To yeah. books that we might not otherwise have read, and I think that's actually been really impressive. Plus, it's also good to see you know what else has been written apart from you know what is perceived to be the canon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, the canon is, is what it is, but it, really, if we if we spent time reading just you know the classics, yeah, you wouldn't actually see what else is out there. That's right. And yeah. this is this uh, is. And I would I would never have read a Christine Catherine Rush novel. Yeah. And now I have, and I'm glad that I did. I, I so. didn't even know who she was. Yeah, until, I, I didn't know who until, she was until Crystal and I. Yeah. Although I did get to the her through canon. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, it's, it's good. But having said that, Paradox Men is in the top 200 on the list, on the Sci-Fi Now list. It's like a Surely and, not. It's a hundred and something, yeah. But, and look, we got to remember Doctor Who novelizations better than this. It's a very influential book, though. I just wanted to point out what I uh, liked mostly about what Luke was saying there is that he just really enjoyed it. And isn't yeah. that what we read and, and watch and, and look exactly. at all this stuff for? Yeah. 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 Good pick, Luke. Thank you very much. Yeah, well You're done, welcome. Luke. You're welcome. You'll we love be, you, Luke. In fact, you've done so well that we'll let you do it again at some point. Cool. That makes me feel so wanted. <laughs> okay, coming up next, Channel Zero, The Big Bang Theory. Our whole universe was in a hot, dense state that nearly 14 billion years ago expansion started. Wait, the earth began to cool, the autotrophs began to drool, Neanderthals developed tools, we built a wall. We built the pyramids, math, science, history, unraveling the mystery that all started with the Big Bang. Okay, so for this edition of Channel Zero, we're going to be talking about uh, what some people consider the ultimate nerd TV show, The Big Bang Theory. Uh, it's an American sitcom created by Chuck Lorre and Bill Prady, who were also the minds behind Two and a Half Men, make of that what you will, uh, who serve as an exec producers on the show, uh, along with Stephen Malaro. Um, they're also the head writers. 
Uh, it premiered September 24, 2007. Okay, so the basic premise of the show is uh, a group of friends who are all, you know, uh, nerds, air quotes, um, who work at the local university in... Um, Pasadena? Pasadena, California. And their friend Penny, who lives, uh, who was a attractive blonde girl lives across the hall um, and later episodes introduced uh, two other female characters as well uh, Bernadette and Amy um, so it basically focuses on their nerdism and uh, you know basically how they how they interact with the world and and uh, all the sort of classic sort of cliche, uh, nerd cliche, cliches are thrown out there so you know their love of Star Wars and comic books and and uh, you know science fiction and computer games and all that sort of stuff and uh, how basically they just don't really understand, <laughs> you know, the way so-called normal people work. It stars Johnny Galecki as Leonard Hostetter, uh, who is a PhD in experimental physics. You may remember from such shows as Roseanne. Correct. Uh, Jim Parsons as Sheldon Cooper, who's a, a revelation. He's just a very popular uh, character and, and uh, now an award winner. Who is a, who is a PhD in theoretical physics. Simon Halberg as Howard Wolowitz, um, who does not have a PhD and is mentioned in every second episode. Mr. Um, but he has a master's degree. That's right. He does have a master's degree in engineering. And Kanal Nayar as Rajesh Kuthrapali, uh, who ha- also has a PhD in astrophysics um, and is originally from India. Um, the uh, girl across the hall is Kaylee Kuko, uh, and her name is Penny. And uh, like I said, they, they then introduce uh, Bernadette and Amy, who is also a scientist. Does Penny actually have a last name? No, Penny's name is ne- last name is never mentioned. Mm. Even uh-huh. when her father comes, I thought they'd mention it when her father comes to visit. Mm. So. Oh, there you go. Can I just mention something about um, Amy Farrah Fowler? Yeah, so uh, Mayim Bialik. Um, it, it's sort of strange in season one when they're looking for um, a new person to join their group. The two people, and someone, you know, quite attractive, the two people that um, Raj mentions, uh, that girl from Blossom, who's got, you know, a PhD in um, neuroscience, or the girl from the Wonder Years, who's also um, got a PhD, I think, also in neuroscience, doesn't she? Uh, No, she's a mathematician. Mathematician. mathematician, And the the girl from the Wonder Years um, appears first, and then, you know... Miam um, um, Bialik, who plays Blo- Blade Blossom, yeah. actually becomes a regular cast member on the show when she be- when they cast her as Amy Farrah Fowler. It is pretty cool. You can you can also imagine the, the the interview process. Like if we mentioned you, we need to get on the show. This would be awesome. <laughs> and in the episode where you know when Winnie shows up, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I burst out laughing because I knew that they'd mentioned because I remember that they'd mentioned her previously, yeah. and now that actually brought her onto the show. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, and Bernadette is played by Melissa Rush, um, who has a PhD in uh, bi- bi- microbiology. Microbiology, I think yes. Yeah. The study of tiny yeah. things. The study of tiny things. Amy's a neurobiologist or something. Yeah, neuroscientist. Yeah. She's a neuroscientist, but in real life she's a neurobiologist. Yes, she is, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the show is uh, it's a huge hit. Um, it's uh, won a, a number of awards and is currently in its sixth season. It just started its sixth season just now. Like I said, Jim Parsons. This has been his his big success. He has you know won two Emmys from this, yeah, um, and uh, has Go, gained quite a lot of uh, prominence. Appeared yeah. in the Muppet movie. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Is uh, it's uh, it, 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 of course plays Sheldon, who um, is the main focus of the show, and 
Well, his eccentricities become the main focus of the yeah. show for quite a lot of the first three seasons. Yeah. Um, there's a lot around Sheldon's obstinacy, his un, his inability to work out what exactly is going on in the mind of so-called regular humans. Yeah. His absolute love of comic books, science fiction movies and things like that, and the com- a complete refusal to allow anyone else's opinion but his own. Yeah. Rule, and that's part, I think that's part of the reason why I like it because, on one hand, Sheldon is a complete nutcase, yeah, and completely unlikable, and you'd hate him if you'd met him. He, you'd be like, you'd be like Leonard. You'd sit there going, "He's driving you insane." I know, but it's weird. so fun to watch. Yeah, it was so fun to watch his interactions mm. with humanity and his attempts to to work things out. And eventually, you know, he even begins to care about his friends. It's it's it's, it's a vital part of the of the humor of the show. Is it? I mean, because it's because it's, it's a sitcom, right? So mm. it's a situational comedy. You mm. need to have you know things happen in in sort of in, mm. for the characters to react to. Yeah. But he is the situation mm. as a character. Yeah. Which I think is just is amazing. Mm. And you're right. Half the time I can't stand him. I like I it's like I want this guy dead. It's just ridiculous. But without him, the show just yeah. really wouldn't work. And and sometimes it's 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 amazing some of the stuff he just does. I think I think it was important because I realised that fairly early on. If you watch yeah. the first, the pilot, yeah, um, they try to play it as a three-hander between uh, Leonard, Penny, and Sheldon, and it doesn't quite work because no. the, the focus of it becomes Leonard and uh, Leonard and Penny, or Leonard's infatuation with Penny, yeah, which is also a driving force of you know all of the seasons, their relationship, and it's a good one. But it's actually not intrinsically interesting enough early on. That's right. Um, so I think they did a smart smart thing, realizing that. In fact, Sheldon, with all his eccentricities, is yeah. far more interesting. Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like The Simpsons. It's like where you start off with Bart as the main character, and then they realize they quickly realize that Homer is the is the most fascinating part. I just I like Sheldon. I think he's the most genuine character. The other characters are all kind of all out for themselves in their own particular way. But Sheldon, he's although he he's hard to be around, and and people find him frustrating and annoying. And he's got his opinions, and he sticks to it. In his own way, he he still cares about his friends. Like when Leonard's sad, he goes to comfort him. He bring he know, he knows to bring people hot beverages if they're feeling down. And even though he doesn't, he can't quite empathise with them. He knows that's a social convention, and that's the thing to do. If he was completely out for himself, he just wouldn't care, he'd just go away. He's the most honest out of all the characters. But I think that's the point I was trying to make. He's the most honest out of all the characters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he at least you know yeah. that everything he does, he does out of honesty. Yeah, and, and I'm no, no ulterior motive. And I really love the, the others can't really, especially Leonard. Yeah. Leonard, I actually don't like Leonard as a character at all. To be honest with you, I just think he's he's just always in it just for himself. I really love the relationship that's been developing over the seasons between Sheldon and Penny. Yeah, I agree. And Penny becoming sort of a caretaker for him. I actually think the show loses a lot of that in its latter half, mainly because Amy comes into it. Yeah. And so the relationship shifts to Sheldon and Amy. Mm. Um, But certainly early on, there's a... Shamey. Early on, there's certainly um, a rather interesting relationship developing. But then, yeah, it does kind of fall by the wayside. Mm. Yeah, which is a shame. Mm. Because that's actually more interesting than Leonard and Penny, watching Sheldon have to deal with Penny or Penny have to deal with Sheldon. Um, actually yeah. provide some of the best moments in the show, like having to take care of Sheldon when he gets sick and soft learning kitty. Soft Kitty for the first <laughs> time. It's, and they, 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 do, they bring Soft Kitty 
the song that she has to sing to him to make him feel better back a couple of times. Yeah. And yet it never gets boring when they bring it back. It's always done to sort of strengthen their relationship. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, I- in the end, even Sheldon admits that Penny is his friend. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's right. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> when was it? It was like, yeah, that's right. The acquaintance it's, is the yeah. one that greets me. Poor Howard. <laughs> um, uh, well, it, it, it um, rounds out Penny's character quite well too. She doesn't. She becomes more than just the blonde bombshell mm. in the show. Um, yeah, you're right. Penny um, starts off. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, you know the, the eye the, candy. The, yeah, the eye candy across the hall, and you know Leonard's you know main mm. main plot, uh, which continues on. But she uh, you know becomes a character in her own of her own, and uh, mm. like a vital part of the crew. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, she finds herself off. sitting there having dinner with the guys like they. Were, one of us. It also helps, I think, when they actually introduce the other female characters into it, mm. um, because very early on, it's it's very much a, a almost entirely male perspective show, mm. yeah. and male nerd perspective show. When they bring the women into it, it kind of fleshes it out a little bit and gives you the, I, I suppose, the other side of the picture a little yep. bit more as well, and it gives Penny people that she can actually play off and relate to on a. On a non-nerd level, and it doesn't yeah. lessen her in any way, mm. which no. I think is good. But there's a nice, uh, there's a nice sort of acceptance of the nerd culture aspect to her personality as well. There's a great episode in season two where the new girl has moved into the building, and, and the guys fall for her because you know she's attractive and she takes advantage of them as she does. And there's a moment where Penny tries to warn her off that, yeah. and she says, you know, they're not like regular guys. You know, they don't have their shields up, yeah. and the person, the other woman doesn't know you know she then she says oh, you know their shields up like you know the star trek star trek en- the starship enterprise on star trek and then pauses and goes hang on where did that come from yeah <laughs> and it, it's it's a, i've always loved watching the moment because it's just a nice little revelation and a nice little yeah. acceptance without having accepted it if that makes sense yeah. resistance is futile Resist- she will be one of us mm. <laughs> um and so yeah so like i mentioned previously uh i don't really like leonard Leonard is the, he, Leonard's the the straight guy. You have to have Leonard there. He is the one who they all bounce off of. He is incredibly whiny yeah. mm. and incredibly deceptive. That's exactly on the money. He starts not, out cute and cuddly, but then he sort of reveals his like, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying that if you take Leonard away, yeah. there is not that... Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's, he's, there's the straight man that they need. And yes, he is whiny and he does nothing but complain and moan about you know his, his own love life and you get tired of that after a while and you you know you will agree with Howard just go out there and do something yeah um but yeah he without Leonard it's, it's, actually... it's excessive whining mm. like it's, it's it's like whilst they're focusing um a lot of attention on developing Sheldon and and, and even developing Penny as we've mentioned Leonard just seems to be this constant level of kind of annoying yeah you, know. oh, you hit the nail no, on the head with the deception. This is actually my favorite character is actually um, Howard, mm. um, mainly because he's just like Sheldon. He's 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 quite honest. Yeah, like, and he'll he'll do. I mean, he's a sleaze. You know, he's kind of disgusting. Mm. Um, at least it started off with. But at least he'll he'll go out of his way to do anything for his friends. Yeah, and that's and that's the true the true version of friendship. Speaking of Howard, we've actually missed a character. Howard's mother. <laughs> Howard, what are you? Who was calling at this ungodly hour? <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I didn't mention Howard's mother, who is awesome. Um, she's never actually seen on screen. Um, she's like um, a peanut adult that way. Yeah, she is. Mm. I got that sort of that sort of thing. She is. She's magnificent. And Bernadette does a brilliant impersonation <laughs> of it. 
Um, everybody gives it a go. You've noticed everybody's given it a shot. He doesn't want butter. <laughs> I, I actually find that that character after a while got a bit annoying for me. Really? Well, it's 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 okay. They're going first of all. They're going for the the stereotypical Jewish mother. Yeah. Mm. But after a while of her yelling, like for me, the joke kind of wears thin after a while. Yeah. And and the only thing that actually makes it um, funny again is when Bernadette does actually start. Yeah. Mimicking it. <laughs> fair, fair enough. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So she's uh, she's voiced by uh, Carol and Susie. Um, so of course uh, that leaves us with Rajesh or Raj, who is hilarious with his bizarre can't talk to women or around women unless he's he's drunk. Um, or thinks he's drunk <laughs> in that cool episode. On the train. On the train. And I was just, oh. Sorry. <laughs> it's great stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, once again, he's he's got his flaws as well. He's a, he's a, when he, he's, he's not a very nice drunk. No, he's, a, he's quite obnoxious <laughs> he's and arrogant. quite and obnoxious. You, could, you kind of feel for the guys when, in the episode where he becomes um, one of people's 30 to watch under 30. Yeah. yeah. When they all decide to just walk off and leave him. You just sit there thinking, yeah, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Penny, Penny's bad, is, Cole there is bad because he's done nothing but, you know, rub it in their faces. Mm. Yeah. And even Leonard there said they're trying to go, no, you've got to be trying to be nice and you've got to support him. Oh, that creepy smile. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I like about the show is that they're all they're all quite well-rounded characters. Mm. They're not, you know, personalities are not just caricatures. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll uh, eventually, they Eventually. Are. Eventually, it, yeah. Of course, it, it starts off that way, but that's the way it, it's going to be. It takes it... It um, takes the better part of a season for that to actually happen. Yeah, I'd um, say even more than that. For them to really become rounded out characters, I think it mm. takes about three seasons. Oh, I disagree strongly. I reckon by season two, they're pretty much nailed. Mm. The moment where I actually thought, yeah, no, I'm going to be watching this for a while, it happens in season one, mm. where they're at the Cheesecake Factory, sitting around the table, they've got all the condiments lined out from in front of armies. Yeah. You know, it's a civil war. The South and the North are going at it, but there are orcs as well. Yeah. And, and then suddenly Superman, yeah. uh, but Superman can't because you know the the swords and the orcs cancel out his powers. But we've got the Hulk, <laughs> yeah. and the Hulk cancels out Godzilla. I don't forget when Raj brings in Shiva the Destroyer, who would just take it all out. And that's why they have to cancel it because <laughs> you know that's unfair. That's not playing by the rules. And he's right because she would. <laughs> yes, she would. But that's the moment I just went, okay, I see. I am with this show. This is it's the it's the bit where I felt that it was actually part of my world. Yeah, it's very, it's incredibly oh, relatable. I to, I'm yeah. totally with you. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's of course being a nerd. Mm. It's just, I mean, that sequence, I mean, yeah. just that scene. I was just like, this is exactly the kind of conversation I can see myself having. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> um, that's it. I mean, having said that, I, mean, I find it totally relatable, but um, not so much with the the girl characters. I, but uh, as we said before, Penny at first was just a bit of eye candy, but her character develops, and then you get Bernadette and Amy coming in, and they're great. But uh, it's just not quite got it with the female characters. And, and there's a uh, good example of that episode with Summer Glow on the train. If you'd reverse that, if we'd put, say, who's a young hot sci fi guy, Jamie Bamba on the train, and then there's um, four geeky girls sitting around there, all try- discussing how they're going to go over there and uh, chat him up and perhaps ask him out. It just does If you reverse it, can you see what I'm saying? It doesn't mm. quite work. Why not? It just, it, just, it just wouldn't... The same characters but girls. Right. It's not going to happen. I don't see any problem with that scene being reversed and being girls. I don't I mean, not... In the context of the shot. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm offended. I'm, I'm getting all feminist on you here. I'm just saying... <laughs> I, I, I'm just... I'm just 
point putting it out there. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. But... Well, the closest thing I can think of as a relatable uh, geeky girl character anywhere would be Meg from Family Guy. I see where you're coming so from. So they've, yeah. they've got her right. But the, the, the other yeah. geeky girls I've seen on other shows and in movies, they're the kind of the attractive girls sort of with their glasses on and their buns. Yeah. Up and what yeah. about Daria? Uh, and Daria. Oh, I love Daria. I forgot about Daria. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, There's a point there that you two are making, which is that, you know, we still see um, nerds as being male. Is that the, the crux of it? That's it. Here's Nerd that, is yeah. a male thing, Nerd isn't is it? Nerd is still a male domain nerd guy has become socially acceptable and nerd, nerd girl, girl hasn't got there yet is, yeah he's really not quite present there yet it's <laughs> the same in the gaming world the girls aren't taken seriously in the gaming world yeah 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 what you've just said there is the cool thing about you having on having you on the show exactly, at all yeah. is you have basically given the nerd girl perspective mm. and that's awesome because otherwise we like that, that's a point that probably we wouldn't have even thought about all that much because yeah. you know we're nerd guys and the show is clearly yeah and relating us. to the boy characters yeah, yeah yeah the show also has uh, quite a number of sort of cameo appearances of people notable in uh, the sort of nerd community uh, most especially the the voice of Leonard Nimoy can can I see it yeah Will Wheaton <laughs> Will, Will Wheaton I think has the yeah. the funniest recurring he, appearances yeah on the he's show. actually had recurring appearances he's a big fan of the show and um, he's uh, he's evil the evil version of himself yeah. that he plays on the yeah. show is is, uh, is hilarious um, I especially love his appearance during the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually I, funny. I, I spoke I, I had the chance to speak to, to Will Wheaton uh, at a convention and, and mentioned his his appearance in Big Bang, and he said he loved it. But yeah, Leonard Nimoy's uh, voice for the action figure episode Mego, was just brilliant. Mego Dolls. Yeah, th- that, um, was, like, that was one of the highlights, particularly yeah. of season four, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, one of the other the other cameos, uh, Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton. I love oh, that yes. episode with LeVar Burton where he, shows, he, fi- he actually shows up to the party right. invitation. He's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I forgot it all, but my favourite is Lester B. George Takai and... Um, Katie Sackoff yeah. giving oh, yes. um, Howard, mind. Yeah. giving Howard's um, uh, love advice. Yeah, yeah. Kiss her. <laughs> what would you know? No, no, no. I also liked the appearance of Stan Lee. Yeah, the Stan Lee oh, appearance. Yes. Where he's, where he's yeah. doing the basically the Hugh Hefner thing. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice in that episode the name of the judge? Jay Kirby. Yep. Uh, that's right, it is too, yeah. I forgot yeah. all about that. Judge J. Kirby. But also like a, uh, some actual real-world scientists have made appearances, mm. including Stephen Hawking. Yep. Um, and uh, oh, Stephen Hawking's appearance is gold. It's just, uh, just uh, yeah. he's, um, he's hilarious, and uh, you can tell he's loving it. Um, <laughs> but also... Um, uh, George Smoot. Yeah, George Smoot. In that train episode. Yeah, yeah. Major, major plot point. Yep. <laughs> um, a major part of the show is the theme song. Um, a lot of shows get known for their theme song, especially Child in Charge. Child's in charge of my days and my nights. Yes, because Listen, of all it? of the great TV theme songs out there, the one that comes to mind instantly is the one from Child's in Charge. Child's in charge. Not, not MASH or Happy Days <laughs> anyway. or Cheers or any of the ones that are actually... Anyway, um, so the, the songs are performed by Canadian band Band Naked Ladies. Um, cool band. They... There's actually a full version of the song as well that was available on iTunes, uh, but the, the theme song version is obviously a shorter version. And Did they actually slow down the theme song? Yeah, it's the a slow, song. slowed down in, in season six because they need to add um, Bernadette Characters. and... Yeah. I just thought it was because people had trouble hearing what the words were. You know? uh, well, that's, po- that's possibly what it was, but that's not what they said. 
Um, yeah, so Laurie actually asked uh, Ed Robertson, who's the lead singer, to supply a song. and Because uh, the original pilot uh, used Thomas Dolby's She Blinded Me With Science. Okay. Which is a cool choice. <laughs> so it's obviously, um, it's, it's uh, being, you know, being a, a nerd-based show, it's, it's really into the pop culture and, and uh, stuff like that. I, I love the fact that uh, Sheldon loves Firefly. Mm. It just thinks it's, it's like, well, well they write, he writes it into the agreement, the... the uh, Romantic agreement, agreement because he thinks it's going to be on forever. <laughs> and then you know, one of the few times where he's begged is when he is begged um, Fox to keep Firefly going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to say, just on that though, as a comic book fan, it's actually kind of interesting when um, when shows try to do you know nerd stuff. You know, they'll mention comic books in the most superficial way, whereas here they have actually quite clearly done their research and they talk about. St- current, then current stories, um, you know, identity crisis, the the reinvention of the fifty two, right. Batman being dead at the time, and it's actually make as being a nerd watching it, it, it sort of makes me feel a little bit more vindicated as well that they've actually chosen instead of just treating it superficially, they've actually gone into it as deeply as they can yeah. to make them the characters seem more real. Yeah, a good example of that is when um, Penny wants to buy a comic for her nephew, mm. and she's uh, like, <laughs> "No, Spider Man," and Sheldon's. Well, which Spider-Man do you mean? This one, this one, this yeah. one, this one, this one? Amazing Spider-Man, Weber Spider-Man, the yeah. Spider-Man. Oh, um, I forgot Sensational Spider-Man. <laughs> and, um, and then David had a few more to say, oh, what about this one, this one? Yeah, <laughs> what about Untold Tales? Um, so, but I, I really like, I'm really glad you sort of brought that up. So, so they they actually, I mean, the, the fact that they try to keep the nerd sort of topics mm. relevant mm. Um, and also just the, sort of their sort of portrayal of nerds in general. Mm. I mean, there's a bit of, there's a bit of criticism um, leveled at the show, saying that they're that they're actually more often than not laughing at geeks and nerds instead of laughing with them. Um, I, I mean, I personally don't think that's true. I mean, there's a li- there's obviously there's a little bit of it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have comedy. Mm. You know, so I mean, obviously you got to. I mean, and but I, the thing is, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, well, there is an element of laughing at them, mm. and I get a lot of that because you know that's my world, the caricature and the stereotypes of nerds. You know, not being able to meet women and things like that um but at the same time i never actually felt i was being laughed at because mm. in many cases it's an embrace of nerd culture as well yeah and um, we certainly know what it's like to be laughed at yeah. so we would recognize that. At, at no point you know does anyone actually make at no point we never we never get the bully character making fun of them whenever even when penny brings home six foot tall um gorillas they still actually at some level actually appreciate you know what the guys are doing, the one who she brings home who they get as Superman when they form the Justice League, yeah. actually kind of likes them because they like science yeah. and because they like comic books as well. They make fun, they make fun of him. Fascinating stuff, but we can go on forever on this show. Um, just to finish up, um, I just want to talk about a clone sort of copy of the show uh, that was that was made without uh, permission um, for, in uh, Belarus uh, called The Theorists. Uh, Laurie mentioned this to uh, Warner Brothers, um, but they decided that there was no real point in in chasing up. Uh, the, the comparisons are, are quite ridiculous. I mean, it was it even used um, like dialogue from the show from the original show, which is just which is ridiculous. Um, so, uh, but the re- even though um, Warner Brothers decided not to take a legal route, they didn't have to in the end because Dmitry Tankovich, who played uh, Leonard's counterpart Siva, um, actually found out that it was an illegal copy. And uh, quit, and so because when he quit, everybody else quit, and uh, he actually he his statement was that 
he, he considers this to be a rock, the rock bottom of his career uh, because he thought it was legitimate and mm. it was to, he was told it was legitimate and it actually wasn't and so he's just embarrassed. They should and, get him uh, onto the They should get him onto the real show. I was yeah, that would be kind thing. of funny. That would be gold as a, as a thank you. That's like a Belarusian linen. Well, they, do that, they do have that cool episode where they're, where they're like they're turning the lights on and off by yeah. going through the internet like around the world and you show yeah. and it shows the Japanese versions of them yeah. and it's like oh what geeks and then they're like cool what if he's wearing a uh, Greatest American <laughs> Hero t-shirt <laughs> awesome awesome <laughs> cool anyway so uh, let's finish up with ratings I'm a huge fan of the show yeah, to the point where um, I don't just you know like one of the characters I feel that I am him well, that's <laughs> large, to a large degree, where almost ninety-five percent of who I am is who he is as well. The that five percent being I am not, you know, a scientific genius. Um, <laughs> and knowing we're talk, of course talking about Sheldon, and, we're Sheldon. and uh, but no, you're not. I mean, you're well, not psychotic. I'm not psychotic, but <laughs> I have a, a a large and alarming number of his idiosyncrasies. Maybe no, uh, ab- absolutely he does. <laughs> There's no doubt about that, and. Um, with, in Sheldon, they're, they're kind of exaggerated because it's just a sitcom, but the similarities between Sheldon and Luke are actually quite substantial. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's kind of weird. It's no, just the way Luke is. I still love him. I don't know, but... There are, um, there are a great many scenes when I watch this show that I think, wow, that's like an exaggerated version of Luke. Um, but I'm a big fan of the show. My favourite episode is actually the episode, the first Christmas episode. Involving um, Sheldon oh, trying to work out yes. an appropriate gift for Penny, and I just love the bit where he re- re- where he gets Penny's gift to him. Yeah, and the napkin with Leonard Nimoy. The napkin and the absolute shock and awe <laughs> yeah. that he can create his own Leonard Nimoy if he has an ovum to put the DNA in, <laughs> um, and then the hug. I think that's marvelous. I give this four looks. Awesome. It is a great scene. It's, it's a great just, scene. He brings out all the stones. Like, it's not enough. <laughs> it is pretty special. Um, I'm a fan of the show and I enjoy watching it and I do find it very funny and I, I love the nerd references but um, I don't know like it's, I'm not a I wouldn't call myself like a massive fan of the show um, but that's I think more because I'm just not that big a fan of sitcoms in general for the most part um, and especially American sitcoms so I, I really enjoy watching the show I find it funny but it's not a show that I'm going to go back to and watch again and again and again and there are times where I think it can be a bit excessive but look i enjoy it i enjoy watching it i enjoy seeing all the similarities between luke and sheldon um look i'll give it uh three cool. um i enjoy it it's not my favorite geek comedy but it's 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 up there i'll give it a four yeah awesome um yeah just like luke and crystal i'm a huge fan as well it's uh i think it's hilarious um but i also do agree with richard and sometimes it just just takes it a little too far um and i think the later seasons are nowhere near as good as the earlier seasons which is um a bit of a shame uh and but my, but my biggest bugbear about it actually is the laugh track um mm. even though it's it's actually not a laugh track it's actually recorded in front of a live audience but the laugh the laughing's clearly being edited in order to maximize its 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 potential and it just but it happens after every single sentence not even a joke. Like any, anything anybody says, there's laughs. But most of the time, it makes sense because the show's hilarious. So I'll also give it four out of five. So that's it for uh, Channel Zero with Big Bang Theory. Check it out. Coming up next, 
coming soon. So October 4th sees the release of Taken 2, which I'm very excited for. Kristen's not that excited. I just had a massive yawn. <laughs> that, that, that explains a lot. It's just the same film. Yeah. We, had a, we actually had a trailer for it, for Looper, and you were like, it's stony the faced. same film. <laughs> but anyway, I think it looks pretty cool. I, I like the fact that it's actually tying into the first film. Like a, lo- a lot of action sequels, it's just the, the guy is put in the same situation with for just no apparent reason. At least from the trailer, this seems to be what's happening to him in the second film relates to what he did in the first film. So there's kind of an action and consequence thing to it, at least. So, But I'm looking forward to it. Liam Neeson as an action hero is pretty cool, actually. Pretty Old cool. school action hero. And then October 11, we get Killing Them Softly, which is Brad Pitt's latest effort. And is, is, is the murder weapon a song? No, that would be <laughs> hilarious. I believe the murder weapon is, in fact, a shotgun, going by the trailer. But, oh, gee, you're, on, you're a comedic fire tonight. <laughs> Um, and yet another version of Wuthering Heights. I mean, seriously. With Kate Bush's song? Uh, I'd be disappointed if it didn't have Kate Bush's song. At least, it's not, at least it's not another version of Pride and Prejudice. That is, that is a very good point. At least Wuthering Heights is actually an interesting book. <laughs> With our critique of uh, Emily Bronte and uh, Jane Austen. Cool, so just before we finish up, uh, let's announce the winners of our giveaways. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I can't actually uh, tell you the winners uh, right this second uh, because, as I said at the start, we are, actually, we are recording this Saturday night. Um, and I, But I said last episode that everybody had till midnight today uh, to send in their entries. So it wouldn't be fair to stop it now before people got some last-minute entries in. Um, so I'll actually record a little bit uh, tomorrow to announce the winners. So coming up next is me in the future recording the winners of the giveaways. He's a paradox the man. future. Where we have computers. <laughs> and the internet. <laughs> okay, so here's me announcing the winners. Okay, so it's Crystal and I in the future. Which, by the time this podcast comes out, will in fact be the past. Okay, so the winners are our giveaways. And I'm glad that uh, we didn't re really cut off the date because we actually did get a last minute entry. At about 11 p.m., so they didn't win. They didn't. Go, their name wasn't drawn out of the hat. But thank you very much for entering anyway. Um, so the winners of the giveaways are uh, the Big Lebowski Blu-ray goes to Donna, um, who she chose her sidekick as the dude, and she said that her reason was because why not? <laughs> so that's pretty. You know, that's fair enough. I mean, if you're going to have any sidekick, the dude would be the one you want to have. Um, I'm not really considering him a sidekick, but. If you were going to have him as your sidekick, that would make sense. Uh, she also said, uh, I already have uh, The Big Lebowski on DVD, but I'm going to upgrade to the Blu-ray copy and give the DVD to a friend in order to spread the word about this great movie. So, awesome. <laughs> so, good. Uh, well done, Donna. And the Caged Angels, uh, Thunderbolts Caged Angels trade uh, goes to Lucky Allen. Uh, and Allen shows his sidekick as... Arthur from the Tick. Now, that's an interesting choice. He, did, he did, wasn't even in our list. But uh, Arthur, uh, Crystal's got this blank look in her face like, who the hell are you talking about? Oh, uh, the Tick's like a, a six foot four uh, superhero parody who basically is unkillable because he's like a Tick and he, like, he can't squash him. So he's like unkillable and he's like super strong. He's, he's like a, a comedy sort of thing. And he's, uh, his psychic Arthur um, keeps 
keep getting getting to refer to as a rabbit, but he's actually a moth. So he has like a suit, um, kind of like the greatest American hero. So he has like a suit that has all these powers, but he doesn't uh, know how to use them all because when he bought it from a yard sale, it didn't have an instruction manual. Okay. Um, but he's got like antenna, like a moth, but they look like bunny ears, and, and he can fly and stuff like that. And he's a he's a mild mannered, he's a super sweet mild mannered little guy. Um, he's cool. He's a, he's a good choice, a very good choice, and uh, that's all Alan has has in his email. It doesn't say uh, why in particular he chose Arthur, but an excellent choice, Alan. So congratulations to Donna and Alan. Those prizes are on their way. Um, if you could, please, as soon as you uh, send me in a postal address, so send in a postal address, and they're off to you. So that's uh, all from me, me and Crystal, and back to David and the rest of the crew, who also includes Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Dave. And congratulations to the two winners of the, of the giveaways. Don't forget you can contact us, if you're brave enough, uh, by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or you can tweet us at nerdculturecast or leave a comment on any post on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. We love those reviews on iTunes. It's the bomb. (laughs) You didn't just say that, did you? I did just say that. My goodness, you sound like you come straight from 1999. I don't care. That wasn't that long ago. (laughs) What are you talking about? Okay, so next episode is devoted to DC's New 52, One Year Later. That's right, we did a massive review of all the first issues of DC's um, universe changing the new 52 so now it's been a year later they're all up to issue 12 and some of them even have annuals and zero issues and cool. some got cancelled and so, yeah so some, poor Romek. some got cancelled so uh we'll just discuss our opinions of those so it'll be a lot of fun crystal doesn't look very excited at all oh i read every single one that came out Lies. <laughs> Total lies. After reading some of the zero issues, I don't blame you. <laughs> I read all the number ones. That's true. Okay, so that's it from me, David, and the crew, Richo. Luke should change his name to Sheldon. Luke Bazinga! <laughs> and a lovely crystal. Well, that was as clear as particulate soil on a colloidal suspension. Huh? Mud. <laughs> You're all crazy. <laughs> Bye!